You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I have an exclusive opportunity for you that I'd love to bring to your attention. And that is I have just launched a six to 12 month mastermind called the Circle of Influence, where I'll be taking you under my wing to show you how to build a platform online that generates an income for you so you can have more freedom in your life. I'm also going to show you how to become a powerful influencer online so that you can score interviews and so you can get exposure on major publications and platforms. And I'm going to even show you how to build these platforms yourself, such as a website, podcast, a YouTube channel, and a social media following so that you can get your message out there to millions. I'm also going to show you how to network with other incredible leaders online so that you can interview them and so that you can collaborate with them and really show you how to refine your story so you can share it in an unforgettable way to score more interviews, to score book deals, and to gain more speaking opportunities so that you can become a powerhouse leader. Now, if this speaks to you, make sure you head over to IamJoelBrown.com slash apply and get in before I close my doors on this live interactive exclusive opportunity where I'm going to go deep with you and with the community of Circle of Influence Game Changers. Don't miss this. Now, let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with Dr. Dane here, who is an incredible and an insightful speaker, coach, and author. He is also the co-creator of Access Consciousness. And what's really interesting about Dane is that he's gone to the deepest, darkest places of perfectionism and how it almost killed him. And he also jumps into what to do when someone you love closest to you battles with depression. And, you know, I think a lot of people nowadays just overlook this subject. They overlook this problem and they, they just brush it off. And I'm, I'm really excited to jump in with Danny today to really look at like, what is this? Why is it such an issue? And why is it so overlooked? So Dane, thank you so much for jumping in on the Addicted to Success podcast. Joel, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of, you know, conversations about how to achieve success and, you know, how to give back more and, you know, things of this nature, but to go to this place with you, I'm really excited about it because I know that when I coach a lot of my students and we run a lot of our events, we find that there's this underlying tone. You can hear it in the, the language patterns of, of people when they're talking about their problems or they're talking about, you know, their vision and things of that nature. You can hear when, when they're getting ready to get ready. You can hear when they're making excuses for not getting up and getting out there. And you can also hear when people have this limiting belief of I'm not good enough or, or I don't have enough. So Dane, I'd love for you to break down with me. How did you identify that you had perfectionism ruining your life? How did you identify this? Well, <laughs> for me, um, probably because I'm not the brightest, you know, crayon in the box. It's like, I literally got to it when I was at a place where I was literally going to end my life if things didn't change. And I was in such a state of judgment of myself. And there were so many things I wanted to create. And none of them were actualizing, you know, they weren't coming to fruition. 
And I'd basically given up on thinking I could have the life that I desired, but I'd been kind of a perfectionist from the time I was a little kid and thinking, you know, cause I, I was one of these people who experienced a dynamic level of abuse when I was growing up. And I always had in the back of my head, if I could just be perfect enough, that wouldn't happen. If I could just be perfect enough, people would like me. If I could just be perfect enough, people would love me. And so I repeated this pattern in every relationship I was in. I repeated it in my chiropractic practice at the time. I repeated it with my family. And, you know, and the, the, the weird thing about perfectionism is when you function from that, a lot of people really seem to like you because you're always doing everything right and you're never doing anything wrong. The only person that doesn't like you is you. And so, you know, for me, it became very glaringly clear 19 years ago where I was like, universe, you got six months. My life either changes and I get happy or I'm out of here. And, it, you know, it became painfully obvious to me. And I'm like, wow, I just feel like I'm wrong every day of my life. I don't even want to get out of bed because I feel like I can't do it right. And I can't, I can't be a chiropractor perfectly enough. You know, I'm not creating enough result with my patients. My girlfriend, I can't be a good enough relationship for her because I'm obviously flawed. I mean, it was, it was running through every area of my life. And so it, you know, I say that because one of the things that, that is inspiring to me when is, you know, cause I'll look at people that inspire me and we tend to get this idea sometimes that, oh, they were always this way, you know, and when you're functioning from that perfectionist lens, you think, oh, well, they were always this perfect. And because they're perfect, that's why this is happening. Um, and so for me, it's like, I really want to bring the conversation out into the open because it's not that they're perfect, that they're that way. It's because they've made choices that have allowed them to get to where they are. And you have no idea what they may have gone through earlier in life that, that was the exact opposite of that, but that they actually persevered and overcame it. Mm, I, I love that you're hitting on this. I think it's so important to understand how it can develop. So what would be the typical pattern for somebody uh, that they would go through to develop perfectionism from what you, well, you've, you've seen so far? Well, I, you know, I can talk to my experience and, you know, a lot of the people that I've worked with around the world and, and I'm still, I'm sure there's also still more, you know, but I would say that one of the, one of the ways in which it starts to develop is usually what I've seen is somebody is a sensitive person. And when I talk about sensitive, from my point of view, if, if that is, if they're made aware of it and they're made aware that it's not a wrongness, that can be an amazing gift in being able to navigate your future because that sensitivity gives you a level of awareness that a lot of other people don't have in the same way. So you could actually use it for you, but they start with that and nobody ever acknowledges it. And then they're usually made wrong because they tend to be more sensitive than their friends, more sensitive than their peers. And so they start out at a very early age, a lot of times with this sense of, they don't know what it is, but they know there's something wrong about them. They're, they're too different, you know, and they don't quite know what to do with it. And so what they do is they tried what I've seen. And once again, I'm sure there are many psychologists who would give you all kinds of studies and all kinds of different ways it shows up, right? So, but what I've seen is then what happens is the person has so much awareness because what I found is the people that are really sensitive, they have a lot of awareness of, you know, the emotional state of other people, the feelings other people are going through. When anybody else has any kind of judgment in their world, 
they're really aware of that. And in an effort to try to deal with it and try to get to the place where they're not as affected by it, they start going to the, the end where they try to do everything perfectly. They try to be perfect for their family. Um, they try to be perfect in their relationships. They try to be perfect in school as a way of trying to somehow get to a place where they don't feel this constant state of wrongness, number one, but number two, it's a way of trying to use that, that capacity that they have for good instead of against themselves. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a crazy loop to throw yourself into. Yeah, truly. So what could they do instead? Well, if you, so that's why I said, if, if we can start to acknowledge that a lot of the people that are doing perfectionism are, have a level of sensitivity. And when I, when I talk about sensitivity, what I mean is they have a level of awareness of a lot of times other people's emotional states, like I was saying, where for most people, it might be at an, a one on the volume scale and for them, it's a hundred. So they can literally pick up, like they'll walk into a room and know who's sad, who's angry, who's depressed. But nobody ever tells them this so they don't acknowledge it so they don't realize whoa i got some mad skills of perception here you know and so that's the first part is acknowledging that you've got you, you truly have some mad skills like you truly have some abilities to perceive things that go unnoticed by most people and then the question and and then for me the next place is we need to go to question rather than conclusion and the question for me is okay how can i use this how can i use this to create a greater world how can I use this to create a greater life? How can I use this to contribute to people? And how can I use this to create the life I truly desire? And in that, what starts to happen is they start to come out of the idea that it's a wrongness that they're this aware. And, and then the other thing they need to look at is how aware are they of the wrongness that other people have in their own worlds, but also that they projected others? Because that's, that's one of the other big aspects that I found is the people that do perfectionism in you know, later childhood and adulthood are oftentimes the people that were abused emotionally or energetically or physically. And, and they're trying to come up with a way to antidote that because they've decided they must be the wrong part of the equation rather than recognize that they're not wrong. When somebody abuses you, you're not wrong. And one other thing I want to say, just because, you know, we're, we're touching on sort of this realm, depression, perfectionism, which often tend to go together, by the way, and that is that, and, you know, I experienced a lot of abuse when I was a kid, emotional, physical, uh, psychological, like you name it, I experienced it. And so I had this idea that I was wrong my whole life. And well, up until about 19 years ago, when I started using these access consciousness tools to change it. But the thing I want to say is if you've experienced abuse, if you've experienced meanness, if you've experienced bullying, but you're still putting one foot in front of the other and looking for something different. It did not destroy you. It did not kill you. And you have a level of courage that is far beyond anything that you could imagine or you thought was possible. Yeah. Wow. I can definitely attest to that because when I was uh, going through high school, I was severely bullied. And when I say severely, I mean every single day, like it just did not stop recess, lunch, after school, and it got to the point where it broke out into this really bad fight and there was a lot of blood and there was a lot of violence and uh, ultimately ended up going to court and ended up leaving school. I got so behind in my grades and I remember, Dane, feeling around that time, I got 
pretty bashed up. And I remember standing, getting up, my, my white t-shirt was soaked in blood. My teeth wow. were busted up. I got, had like, you know, my eye had split open. There was a lot going on. Right. And I remember looking around and seeing thousands of school kids all just like in shock. And at that time I meant it, I made it mean that I was beaten. And I reached this fork in the road and it was either be the victim or the victor, what I thought was the victim and the victor. And what I did was I went through this, it was two to three years of a whirlwind of going, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. I'm okay. I didn't get beaten. And I let that drive me so much. And it was interesting because I had so much motivation behind me and I actually achieved quite a lot, became a DJ and I got on radio and then I got a record label deal, flew out to Miami at a young age and all these things were happening, all these achievements were happening, but I'd wake up every morning with a knot in my stomach feeling like I'm not supposed to be here. And it was this, re I know what it is now looking back and in retrospect was that I was coming from desperation. I wasn't achieving my goals through inspiration, it was desperation. And it was only until I met you know, a mentor who challenged me to, to cast a 10 year vision and to create the life that I truly desired with no limits. I started mapping it all out and I realized like it had nothing to do with what I was currently doing. And I started to feel inspired then. Is this something that you, you see as well within the people that you work with around this topic that they're coming so often from desperation, proving other people wrong? Uh, I'd say you stated it perfectly, my friend, that that's exactly it. You know, there's this, there's this sense of desperation in their world and, and they tend to have this idea that their life experience, well, two things. One is that their life experience has determined the course of their future, which it never does unless we let it. And number two, that they had that life experience because they were somehow flawed, somehow wrong. Otherwise this wouldn't happen to them. And so, you know, it's like, it really is about addressing both of those, you know, and exactly what you said. And, and this is the thing. It's like, it's like the, you know, there's the, this reality's point of view of success, you know, you're like, okay, dude, you're on the rise, man. You're a DJ. You've got record contract. You're flying to Miami, you know, all this sort of stuff. And so this reality goes, oh, see, you are succeeding. What nobody's looking at is what's going on for us inside. And this is, this is one of the perfectionism traps is from the outside, wow, do you look shining and brilliant. And on the inside, it's like you feel like you're dying inside. And that's really this crucial difference where when we start to function from that inspiration and that sense of possibilities and allow us to find whatever it takes for you, I'm a firm believer that if you're willing to make the choice, the universe will provide, you know, there, whether it's one thing or another, there, there is a way out of it a way that actually works for you. But we need to get to that place where we actually have the inspiration to know it's possible and then friggin' go for it. Mm, yes, yes, yes. So Dane, that, that would be a healthy view of uh, achieving success, which I like that you, you touched on that as well. It's, it's really important because, you know, we can make things bad too and go, oh no, that's not a good thing. Going for your dreams all the time. You can burn yourself out and it happens for sure. I, is there any like daily habits or any routines or structures that you have in place to make sure that you are living more of like a, a life of harmony and, and uh, efficiency without really going overboard? Uh, so many. Um, so let me, one, I'm a firm believer in, in giving people tools that they can use, you know, things that, whether it's just an awareness or something or a question they can ask. Um, 
And one of those for me is, is recognizing that what's true for you always makes you feel lighter. A lie always makes you feel heavier. So when you're heading in the direction of doing something that's not really true for you, you, there's this heaviness, like you were saying, you know, I wake up with something in the pit of my stomach every single day. Well, if I get anywhere close to that, anything like that, I'm like, okay, what's going on? Where am I not actually doing or choosing what's true for me? Like whose point of view have I bought here? Because one of the, one of the other things that can be really helpful is to realize that 98% of our thoughts, feelings, and emotions and the crap in our head and the energies, you know, and the stuff in the pit of our stomach that we deal with, 98% of it is stuff we're picking up from other people because we're that aware and we're that psychic. And if you've ever been having a great day and walked into a room where somebody was really sad or worse yet, where a group of people were really sad, all of a sudden it feels like your whole day tanks and you're really sad. Well, wait, are you really sad or are you just really aware of what they're going through? And, and it doesn't just apply in that situation. It's like, you know, we'll call somebody when they're thinking about us. We're connected energetically, but we don't want to acknowledge that. We, we want to act like I'm an island and I'm my own thing. And no, you're really aware of the people around you. And we need to get that also because certain people, a lot of us actually, are more attuned to what's going on for other people than we are what's actually going on for us. But if you're in a room with somebody who's sad and nobody's ever told you, hey, 98% of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions don't belong to you, you're just aware of them like a big psychic radio receiver, then you end up walking around with all this crap. And so there's a tool that we use in Access, which is, who does this belong to? And you can, and my suggestion is ask it to every thought, feeling, and emotion and weird energy that comes up for you for three days. At the end of three days, you walk around like you're in a walking, talking meditation. There are no thoughts in your head, no matter how big the city is you live in or how populated the places you live in. And so the reason I'm bringing both of these things up in response to that question is because what I, what I look for at this point, I, I'm, I do things a lot differently than pretty much everybody else I know or have heard of at this point. And what I do is I follow what's light for me. I follow what's fun. I follow what makes me happy. And the interesting thing is my business continues to grow. We're in 176 countries around the world at this point. There are over 10,000 facilitators doing this work. And, you know, two and a half years ago, there were 5,000 facilitators doing the work. And we were in 140 countries. So it's like, but I don't wake up and go, oh, my God, what, what do I have to do today from this, from this place of, um, you know, the work of it and the drama of it? I wake up and go, wow, what would be fun and what will create the most today? And I know that if I'm functioning from that sense of lightness and I don't have everybody else's crap in my head and in my world, then that is naturally creative. You know, and, there, and a lot of us, especially when we're um, people who desire more, it's like we tend to get this idea that we need to do it by really thinking about what we're creating all the time and we need to get our vision and we need to hold our vision and we can't let go of our vision. And I used to do that, but it never worked for me. So I had to find a different way because I was not succeeding with that. And what I found now is when I follow the lightness, when I follow the joy, and I still have that sense, but it's not a vision anymore. Now it's more like, it's more like this energy that's available out there that, that I have asked for as my life, but also my contribution to the world and the people in it. And so now what I do is I live and dance with that energy because if any of us ask for it, if we, if we take it out of a vision, like it's something that we can see, because no matter what anybody tells us, we can't see the future. Why? Because it's not solid enough. The present is solid. The past was solid, so we can feel it intensely. 
But the future is this like whisper of energies. And if we stay connected with that, what happens is as we keep being the lightness of us and keep doing what brings us joy and ask every day, what do I need to contribute to my business today? And if I were truly being me today, what would I choose right away? And if I were truly creating my life today, what would I choose right away? What starts to happen is we start to, we start to have the sense of this thing that is the future that we've asked for. It melds, it, it morphs and changes, but it continuously invites us along on the journey to be able to create it. Totally different way of, of creating. I love this conversation, Dane. We have this conversation so often with people that come to our events and, and then I'm coaching and, and you know, I find sometimes when, let's say we've got like a higher ticket program and it's two and a half thousand us or it's seven and seven, nine, nine, seven, you know, and it's funny to hear the conversation cause you hear the struggles, you hear that there's things that they're working through and there's things that they need to overcome. And, and then it's like, we paint the picture, right. And they hear it and they go, I really need this right now. I know I need this. And then we get to the end of the conversation and it's like, I don't have the money right now. Or yeah. they see the look like they're like, when they hear how much something costs, they like tighten up in their chest. You can see them holding their breath. Yeah. We see the look on their face. The whole, it shows through their physiology. Right. And then, you know, you have this conversation and it's like automatically people cut themselves off from possibility because of their current state. Yep. They're not thinking, well, I know I don't have it right now, but I know I can create it. And, and for us, like so often me and my business partner, we're always talking about creation. So it's like, what do we need to create in order for this to be possible? And this is that abundance mindset. This is that, you know, inspiration. This is where you thrive. It's not just surviving. It's not lack. It's not destruction. It's, it's creation. I yeah. say to my business partner, I'm like, we're weapons of mass creation, man. <laughs> <laughs> We get to create whatever the hell we want. <laughs> yes, exactly. But that's also though, that's that, you know, from my point of view, it's like your point of view creates your reality. Reality doesn't create your point of view. And right. when you overcome and when you, it's like you, if you know, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, we can create anything. We're weapons of mass creation. I love that. Can I just borrow that? You know, I'll give you credit. For I sure. Thank you, man. Like an awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, but one of the things, this is also interesting though, because one of the things that I found is for something somebody truly wants to do, they will find money. And so what I found is money, time, and or sickness or sickness of a family member or a child, are, those are the three things you can't argue with. So if somebody goes, oh, well, I don't have the money. Well, what they're really telling you is, no, this is not for me right now. Or no, I'm not really willing to make the commitment to do it. Now, and there, there will be one person in 10,000 who doesn't have the money where you go, okay, I know that, I know that one day they will, I know, but the rest are, they, they actually use it as a way. And I, and I want to say this to people that are listening because we all do this, well, not everybody, but a lot of people do this in our lives where we'll make it about the money. It's never actually about the money. Money is the one thing and money and time are the two things nobody can argue with. And then the third thing is health. Oh, I'm too sick to do this. And there's nothing you can say. You know, if they have a previous engagement, oh, I can't do it. I cannot tell you the number of times where I was going to go to a seminar. I did not have the money. I had previous engagements. I found a way to come up with the money, whether I begged, borrowed or stole it. I didn't actually steal it. I would love to say that I was willing to do that, but that's just not me. Okay. <laughs> you know, 
beg, borrow, put it on a credit card or whatever, change the previous engagements that I had and was like, I'm there. You know, but that's what people will do when they're actually willing to have what you're offering. But they don't want to say, you know, because what will happen is they'll get that sense. And, you know, I, I would so love it if, you know, we keep talking about the vision of it, but which sounds like such a wonderful, motivating word. But in that, if we can tell them, look, you're, it's not vision, it's not seen. You're not going to see it with your eyes. You're going to sense it with your entire being. All of your energy, everything you are is going to sense this. That's what we're talking about. And if it doesn't work for you, you don't have to tell me you don't have the money. You can just go, hey, that's not for me right now. Maybe sometime in the future it will be. Maybe it won't. Totally okay. Yeah. No, I, I love this. And, you know, I teach this visioning process, right? The 10-year vision game plan. And in that, one of the biggest parts is to feel it on a cellular level, right? And the way we do this is you have to be so clear cut with, with how you describe this to the point where it's almost like you can touch it, right? It's like, yeah, it's, it's there already. And, and what I tell people so often is a lot of people that I get that come into the program will say, I want to be a speaker. I want to be a coach, blah, blah, blah. blah. I want to speak on stages with Tony Robbins. And I say, okay, cool. What would it, what would you have to act like, feel like, talk like, walk like to be the embodiment of, of someone that would be able to play at that level? the ultimate version of you, you know? And I think that a lot of people don't understand this whole identity thing is so important. It's like when you were saying before, it's like, you've got to actually feel it. You've got to embody the identity of the person that you need to become in order for you to get that. You can't match that frequency unless you become that frequency itself. Yes. And, and I feel like so many people, when you talk about like perfectionism, which is lack, right? It's like, I don't have enough. I need to get more. I need to get more. It needs to be perfect you know, I'm not good enough, failure and mistakes are bad. All these like running limiting beliefs is such a low level frequency. And if you're living in there so often, you can't get those things that you need to get at that higher level. You can think about, oh, I'd like to have that, but that's not enough. Liking it isn't enough. You actually have to become it before you get it. Yeah. And, and if people would, if people would get that and I mean, just even for a moment, if they could just get that for a moment, it starts to change everything. See, and, and for me, the, one, of the, one of the leaps I make in the classes that I facilitate is, is giving them that or asking them to get that sense like you're talking about. You know, and for you, it's the vision, which, you know, and I love that. It's like create it so dynamically that you can almost touch it. Because when you do that, what we don't realize when we're doing that, we're using our energetic capacities to create, which is how we create everything. It's just nobody ever tells us that, you know, we take formless, we get ideas because we're so friggin' aware and brilliant. And we, and when you do that, it's like, you're, you're pulling the energy from energy into like actualization in the world in, in the doing of that, which is this amazing gift. And so here you are. And the thing that I found is we've got a couple choices as facilitators. We can either take the people that are actually willing to have that, and work just with them, or we can take this other sort of larger port, and we'll definitely work with them, okay, period, we're gonna work with them, but we can also take this other larger portion of the population that has the capacity to have it, that has the willingness to change enough to have it, and we can use some of the tools we have to change enough of their points of view to where they can actually start to perceive that it's possible for them and what happens is their world starts to expand really dynamically 
And now we don't have to just work with the people who are willing to have it today because they're wired that way or have the life experience or they're suffering so much they're, you know, functioning from the desperation. We can actually create the change in people that have the willingness and desire. We can just undo a lot of the limited points of view so that they can head more in that direction. And they may never get to the person who's like truly dynamically just going to have it no matter what, but they'll get a lot closer than if we just can't assist them at all in getting there. Yes, yes, yes. I, Dana, I love this because I know before you were talking a little bit about creation, right? And I have this like, I had this beef with the content that's out there right now. I feel like so many people are being so unoriginal. They're just copycatting each other. They're being lazy. They're not getting out there and really flexing their potential and their creativity. Now, the way I see it is with everyone trying to be so perfect, it's so funny because they're trying to be perfect. At the same time, it's killing their creativity. Because exactly. I, I, believe, I believe creativity <laughs> requires courage, right? How can, you, how can you create something that's new and different and, and you know, has this like moment in time where it's probably going to be judged from every angle because it is so different? How can you do that possibly if you're, if you're pushing all the time for perfection? So, so speaking to this, I think this is really important because there's a lot of people that have like books in them. They have ideas, but they're not executing because of perfectionism. How can we overcome well, okay. this? So, so let's, you know, I, I love where you're coming at this from. So let's look at the, so this, let's realize, first of all, perfection is the ultimate series of judgments of you. Okay. There is no such thing as perfection. It doesn't exist. The only thing that you can hope to do is be the greatest you, you can enjoy screwing up royally, not make yourself wrong from it, become more aware from it, and don't make the same stupid mistake in the future. You know, the, and the difference I would say in my life right now at this point is I'm willing to screw up. And I mean, I, in one of the, in one of the business things, my business partner and I chose actually some people we chose to have work with us. We basically spent $2 million over the course of a year to try to get something accomplished that never came to fruition. And we both looked at it and went, well, we screwed that one up, didn't we? Awesome. Now what? You know, we didn't even, we literally have not spent another moment on it. We never made ourselves wrong. We were like, well, that was an interesting choice. And we moved on. But, we, and, and it's so, so great for you said that about the content that's out there. Because in this, in this thing, people are not, in order to actually create something different, you have to be willing to be different. But you have to be willing to be that thing that you uniquely are. Put your own spin on it and, and, and actually bring that to the world. But we live in a world where people are just trying to copy somebody else and make it a little better so that people will buy their stuff. And, and people know this. People are aware enough to know, oh, well, that's like copied stuff that, wow, it doesn't really have a bunch of originality to it. They're not, you know, and so... We have a lot of people who are trying to, to do cookie cutter copycat of other people and put their own spin on it while pretending they didn't steal it from somebody else, which is not a way to create something different and not a way to create a possibility. And people think that they're going to be more perfect if they take what somebody else has done and fix the mistakes in it. And it's like, none of this works, none of this. And if we're talking about personal development, you know, if we're talking about coaching any of these areas, it's, it's inherently dishonest with self. And so it creates a space where you know you're lying through your teeth. And I hate to say it, but 
people also know when you're lying. They may buy it for a while, but people are too aware to, to be lied to continuously. Unless you're the American voting population, then that's a totally different story. All bets are off. But that's... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting political now. <laughs> no, I just, I just had to throw that in. I was just, you know, yeah. acknowledging that certain people are willing to be lied to continuously. That's okay, okay. But people who are, but, but it's in the nature of the beast. Like people who are, who are seeking more awareness, they tend to get more aware. And so the more aware they get, the more, the more they recognize when somebody is not, is not really bringing something authentically different to the table, and we can. And, and the, the thing for me is, you know, I wrote this book called Being You, Changing the World. And, and talk about a lesson in getting over perfectionism. My God, I worked on it three months longer than I should have. And my business partner finally said, let it go or it is going to die. It needs to be <laughs> the world. And I literally stopped working that day and just sent it off to be printed. And, um, but and the thing is, it's like, if we bring us, our authentic self, whatever it is we truly are, and all the weird stuff we have going on, and all the weird ways we have of looking things, to anything, it becomes greater. If we're not censoring it, if we're not trying to be perfect, and if we're not so worried about being wrong that we have to go down this perfectionist route and try to copy and duplicate. Because when we do the perfectionist thing, we're trying to stay with so small that nobody can judge us. I'm sorry, if you're not willing to be judged, you're never going to do anything to create something greater in the world. Mm, I feel you. I feel you on this. It's interesting. Uh, my mom, actually, she, she started to use Facebook very recently and she wanted to do some Facebook lives. And I remember her saying to me, oh, you know, like when people get on there, they just look so silly. They, they get on and they're kind of doing their hair or they're taking their time or they're saying these, you know, things on loop and they don't make... And I asked her, what do you think about yourself being on there? And she's like, uh, no. And I'm like, well, why not? And so, and I said to her, I said, mom, you're looking at the world and judging the world because you're judging yourself first. Yep. She's like, oh, I think you might be right. You know, and it's great because she would accept that and be like, you're right. I can see that. Uh, but, but we do it so often. And I noticed after I said that to her, I was like, where am I doing that in my life? Like, where's that showing up in my life? And it happens, man. It happens on social media so often. It's like you look at someone's thing and you can automatically by default, is, we just start to judge. And then you got to pull yourself up and go, wait a minute, why am I judging this? Yeah. yeah. And, and what, does it, what does it even mean? This person doesn't know that it's being judged. Like I'm the only one here that's inflicting this like lower frequency thing in my life or myself. And then you, what happens is you put these unrealistic, mythical, mystical standards on yourself and it becomes this fantasy that you project and you... you you now put yourself in this like impossible world of trying to create something. It's just crazy what we do to ourselves in order to try and, you know, impress and be liked. And this whole fear of being judged. Oh man, I tell you what, that's like one of the biggest things that I find that's just riddled throughout society is so many people are so in fear of being judged because if yes. they're judged, it means that they're not good enough which stems back to, you know, childhood of whatever it was, this experience they might've had where they met, they made something mean, I'm not good enough. I'm not accepted. Yeah. I'm not loved. Cause everyone yeah. wants to be seen, heard and understood. Right. Well, let's go. Yeah. Let's yes. And they're well, so if, so a couple things, this, this thing about, 
the the judgment like so let me just one example um like you'll see a facebook post or or you'll see people you know like doing a facebook ad like let's say in, they're in the personal development space which is similar to what both of us do right um and so it took me a very long time to get this where i would see an ad for somebody doing something and they would be talking about it and i would go into that weird sense of wow, they're doing a much greater job. They're having more of an impact in the world. They're this, they're that. And I was like, and I would walk away from it feeling weird. And then I started asking, because what I do when I don't know what's going on or something feels weird is I start asking questions. And the four questions that I suggest everybody asks, it, they're really simple. What is this? What do I do with it? Can I change it? And if so, how do I change it? So I mm -hmm. saw one particular well-known you know, a uh, person that was advertising somewhere. And I saw that you started their little video and I had that feeling come up and I went, wait, what is that? And I was just, and when you ask a question like that, just be with it for a while. You know, you may have to be with it for an hour, maybe a day, who knows? Um, but I, and I went, oh my God, what that is, is what that person is putting out, which is, I am so wonderful and I am better than you. So you need to buy my program because I am this amazing. And here's what I'm going to give you that you can't give yourself without me. And I was like, holy shit. Cause for me, when I, when I go to create, I mean, you know, I have the blessing of delivering workshops around the world at this point and, you know, have hundreds or thousands of people and, and how does it, you know, I'm so friggin' blessed, so grateful. And, but when I, go to create an invitation it's it's an invitation it's like hey here's what's possible here's what we're going to do if you want to come show up and if you don't please don't show up i love you anyway you know and what i realize most of the world does is hi i'm here i am better than you i have more money than you i have more stuff than you i have lived a better life than you so you need to pay me money because that's the only way you're going to get what i have i mean it's classic you know traditional advertising on a social media level and I realized that, and it, it really, I sat there with my mouth agape for about five minutes going, holy shit, I didn't, I didn't realize that was possible because that's not how I do it. For me, I like to invite people and give them choice. And if they don't want to come, I don't like them any less. I don't try to go, oh, I'm perfect and I have everything you need. Come, come do this. I go, hey, there's a lot of cool shit we can create together. Want to come play? You know, but we tend to also look and expect that other people are like us in how they do things. And when when they don't, it tweaks us in this weird way. And I think one of the greatest gifts we could actually give ourselves is a willingness to receive judgment. And one of the things I found, I was actually, because my business partner and I, we have these long conversations sometimes about what's going on in different places. We were talking about receiving judgment many years ago because we were working with so many people that had such difficulty. And we looked at it as an energetic because the thing about receiving is if you try not to receive anything, See, my point of view is we should receive everything, like even judgment. Like even if somebody goes, oh, you're a jerk. Well, what I do is I lower my walls and barriers and I just let that energy go on through. And I'm like, thank you very much. And they go, no, you didn't get it. You didn't hear me. You're a jerk. I'm like, no, I heard you perfectly. I get that that's your opinion. Thank you for sharing. But I don't have a point of view about it. I don't resist and react. I don't fight. I'm just like, thanks. You know, how can you punch a marshmallow, you know? And so I realized that's really the only place of freedom because it allows total receiving. When we try to put up walls against judgment, it's like if you build a brick wall around you, 
that wall does not know to let in kindness and happiness and joy and money and keep out judgment and mean stupid people. A wall is a wall, you mm. know, and any wall that we erect lessens our receiving. And so we started putting it this way. For every judgment you're willing to receive, you make $5,000 more that year. And receiving is not when somebody says you're a jerk, you go, oh my God, I am. That's aligning and agreeing. That's making it real. Or fighting against it, which is the resistance and reaction going, no, I'm not. Receiving is, hey, thanks for the input and let it on through without a wall going up. And so for every judgment you're willing to receive, you make $5,000 more that year. For every judgment you try to refuse by putting up a wall, you lose 10000 which explains probably a lot of people's incomes and, and the challenge in creating more for a lot of people. Wow. I like that challenge. I like it. I'm going to start attention to that. <laughs> cool. No, I love this day. Yeah, my, uh, my mate Matt, uh, he puts his beads on his left hand, uh, left, uh, left wrist, right? And he, he does this thing where if he catches himself judging, he has to change hands for the rest of the day. Right. And so it becomes this like symbol, this thing that he notices and his whole game that he plays is how long can I keep the beads on my left hand? Right. And if I, you know, if there's any form of judgment, he has to change hands. He's got to put it on the right and he can't put it back that day. He's got to reset and start the next day. And he said, Joel, within literally within 15 minutes or so, he found himself judging. And he's like, it's slowly being pushed out. He'll go for an hour. Then he'll go for two hours, you know, within about like five days to seven days in. You, know, you go for four hours or six hours. He's getting better and better at it. And it becomes this thing where he's rewriting his habit. Because we do have this habit. We have this like automatic flex, this reaction to judge. And, 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 that. and it's like, well, how, how do we get ourselves out of that? We've got to slowly, we can't expect it to be straight away, but slowly start to like ease back on it and, and be aware of it. You know, you talk about uh, consciousness, right? And being more conscious of how we show up. I think there's this like automatic primitive thing that comes up in us so often where we, we think something, but the next thought just before it leaves the mouth, that's the important one you want to catch. Mm -hmm. True story. Now, now my question about your friend and this idea of judgment in general, was he judging other people or was he judging himself? Uh, judging other people. I'm going to say, um, one of the things I found is we found that there tend to be sort of dynamically two different types of people in the world. And we call them cow people and horse people as an example, because like cows and horses live, can live in the same pasture, eat the same food. Um, but cows are more than willing to just chew and chew and chew and chew their cud and chew grass and wait for slaughter. And horses are like, they want to run and jump and play and have sex and run and jump and play and have sex and run. You know, what else can I do? What else can I jump <laughs> over? How much more fun can I have, right? And so the horse people tend to be the seekers, you know, the people that are always looking for something different. And, you know, another way we call it is humanoids. And they tend to be the people that they're always looking for something different. They know something else is possible. They're the people that would be, you know, listening to this podcast. And at the same time, they tend to be in a constant state of judgment of themselves while thinking that they judge other people. But in actuality, the only person they ever judge is themselves. Why? Because they're not wired to judge other people. They're just not that way. And then we have the cow people on the other hand that are, you know, they look at personal development. They're like, what a bunch of quacks and weirdos. That crap doesn't work. You think you can change the way you feel. And why don't, why aren't you happy just sitting on the couch watching footy with a beer 
why do you have to do all this weird shit you do, you know? And so <laughs> there's, there's fundamentally two different types of people. And we've started looking at that and realizing the people and those people that are like the cow people, they are in a constant state of judgment of everybody else. They know that they're right. Everybody else is wrong. And when you say, hey, here's a different possibility, they're like, I don't need a different possibility. Go away with your damn possibility. I'm not about possibility. Just get out of here. Why can't you be happy, you know, living the life you're living? Why do you need so much more? You're crazy. And so there's fundamentally two different types of people. And so when I ask that about your friend, somebody who's willing to take the time to move the beads from one side to the other when he judges is not somebody who is wired to judge other people. And, and for those of the people listening to this podcast, I'm going to say a lot now, and by the way, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong and one is good and one is bad. It's just the awareness that there are two totally different types of people. And the people that have never been spoken to is the horse people, the humanoids of the world, the seekers of the world on this different level where it's like, Hey, you might check to see if you're actually judging people or if you're picking up on the judgments people expect you to have of them. Because this thing right. that I, and this is, this is a big one because we pick up on the thoughts and the judgments other people have of themselves. It goes into our head and then we assume, Oh, I'm judging them. And at one point I was doing a lot of work with people who had obesity and helping them get to the place where they liked their bodies and could change them if they wanted to, but that, they got out of the fundamental judgment of their bodies. And it was interesting because I walked into, I walked around a corner and there was a lady who was coming to one of the obesity clinics I was delivering. And the first rush was of judging her body. That was the first thing that came into my head. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh-uh. I'm not, I'm not buying that. Okay. And I was like, wait, is this mine or hers? And I went, oh my God, she's projecting it out at the world. Judge my body, judge my body, judge my body. My body's a source of judgment. My body's a source of judgment. And I went, oh my God, this is happening with everybody. They have a judgment and they project it and then we pick it up and then we think we're judging them. And then I asked, you know, real, I lowered all the walls and barriers and I just asked myself real vulnerably. I'm like, am I judging her? And I was willing for the answer to be yes. Am I judging her body? And I was like, wow, actually not. It was a, it was a huge awareness that sort of colored my perception of reality after that point. Wow, this is insane. This is really insane. Uh, Why are you saying this? I was just thinking of times where that's happened with me and I don't strive to be a judgmental person of others. And I, <laughs> In fact, <laughs> we, you strive the other way, my friend. You strive not to ever judge anybody because that's not how you're wired. <laughs> right. And, and I do, yeah, I found myself like looking at it like that. And I think that I've said to my business partner, like I don't like to surround myself often like I know it happens from time to time, but I don't like to surround myself often with people that have a losing energy where you can just tell like in the, the way that they show up and the way that they talk all the time is just not, it's lack, it's lack, it's lack because it can rub off on you, you know? Yeah. And, and it becomes this kind of this, this job, this thing, this work that you have to do to just try and not let that, you know, affect you and just be noticing it. And it can be quite a lot. And we really need to pick and choose who we hang out with with vigilance, you know, it's really important. I know I saw a study, I saw it quite a few times. I, I can't remember exactly where they did the research, but it said that our environment has a 40% effect on our mental state. And when I 
you know, heard that, I was like, wow. And I kept seeing it and I thought, you know, I've got to choose. That's why I'm living in Bali, Indonesia. You know, I'm, I've chosen a place where it's inspiring and there's a lot of creation I can do and we get into good routine and, and you know, pick and choose what I want to hang out with out here. And I, I like that you've broken this down for us because I think now after people have listened to this episode, they're going to be more mindful about who they keep around them. And then even when it shows up to just go, okay, where's that coming from for me? Or is it what that person's projecting? So thanks for breaking that down. I think this probably also goes into relationships too. You know, we have this judgment and these expectations of each other in relationships. I know that you also support people when it comes to uh, battling with depression, right? With uh, when their loved ones are battling with depression. So what can somebody do if they're in a relationship right now, whether it's, you know, it could be friendship, family or a romantic relationship and they have someone close to them in, de- in depression like what would your advice be with this well a few things the first thing is to be the, let them know you're there for them tell them hey i am here for you and talk to them ask them like what's going on where are you like what is going on for you and, and let them talk it out if they're willing to now, if they're not willing to, one of the one of the other things about depression and sort of any it, it there's a couple things. If if it's been something that's been ongoing over the course of their life, that's a different story because that was probably something that got created in childhood and they're carrying it forward. Um, but if it's something that is new or has drastically changed, then there's something that happened right before that, and we need to we need to find out what that was now. And, you know, my point of view is do whatever you need to do to contribute to the person to help them, whether it's suggesting they go do therapy. But for me, literally what what literally saved my life 19 years ago was this thing called access consciousness bars. And, you know, I don't mean to make it sound like a commercial. It's just we've done studies and found that it changes brainwaves quite literally. And it's the only thing that I've seen that that creates this space that actually creates space when you're so when you're in depression there's this massive amount of contraction in your world which is what creates it It feels like your body slows down um and this can create a sense of space where you're like okay it's okay it's okay i can i can do this i can take another step i can take some more steps to actually start changing this so sorry i'm talking all over the map my adhd is kicking in big time here um so that's one of the things I would suggest is, is the access consciousness bars, but being there for them and let them know that you were there for them and ask them and tell them, look, you can tell me anything. I will not judge you. What's more important to me is to have you here as you. What's more important to me is to have you get back to that happiness. that's actually possible. Can, will, is there any chance you just sit with me and unload? We can have a glass of wine together and just go for it. Um, them knowing, and once again, I do not claim to be a therapist, okay? Um, I've just found these energetic ways in working with a lot of people who have this that allow it to actually change. But you also have to, it's like I wish I had time to explain some more of the way that I would actually go about it if I were working with somebody, but it's you know sort of beyond the scope of beyond the scope of the interview, you know, at this point, but it's like, 
one of the things you need to do is you need to get them out of the blame, shame, regret, and guilt that they're functioning from, because that's one of the, the other um, main things that occurs in depression, especially if it's new or dynamically worsened in recent time. Because usually right. what happens is they're, they've done something they feel really bad about, or they've done something and like they've gambled their house away or something. You know what I mean? It's like, there's some major event that has occurred for them that they can't tell anybody and can't face you being there for them may give them the possibility to actually give some voice to it. And like I said, let them know, look, I will not judge you for anything you say. I just really feel you going away. I would just so love to be here for you. You know, you've been a great friend or I love you as a husband. I love you as a wife. I really, we please let me be here for you. Can you please tell me what's going on and know that I will not judge you know that you have a safe space here. And just sometimes the act of reaching into their world. Now, if they're at the point where they're beyond, sorry, the ADHD again. Um, another thing that can help is there are certain supplements that assist to boost mood. Um, Sammy is one good. Um, there's several that are out there on the market that can also help. <clears throat> there's a thing called cortisol manager that seems to, regulate cortisol in a way that creates uh, a place so they can come out of the darkness of the mood that they're in. <clears throat> the other thing is for them to actually get their body moving because one of the things that happens with people in depression, they don't want to move anymore. They just want to stay in bed and turn off all the lights and have everybody go away. Well, okay. They can do that for a while, but they need to get their body moving. Even if they don't want to, if somebody's willing to actually be there and say, Hey, let's go for a walk or, let's go for a jog or let's go for a swim or something. And they'll be like, no, go away. Like, you know what? I'm not leaving until we do this. So you have a choice. I can camp out on your bed for the next six weeks or we can go right now. What's it going to be? You know, use whatever tool you have available to start engaging them again in living. But we have to get, we have to get underneath the story that they're telling themselves about whatever it is that's going on. And one of the biggest reasons people get depressed is because there's something that they're trying to hide from the world, something they're guilty about, and something that they feel like they have done wrong that they have no way of fixing, or the sense that their future is not possible, or they've just done something to destroy their future. And that's when they go into that. So having that, you know, being the friend, and I'm also a firm believer in suggesting therapy, uh, you know, psychotherapy, uh, it, if that's what that person requires whatever the heck it takes to be able to get them to a stable footing so they can start looking at things. Now in access consciousness, using those tools, it's like I've had hundreds, thousands of people who have come who are mildly to severely depressed. And in conjunction with doing this thing called the bars, this really light touch on the head and also using some of these other tools that, that get them beyond the points of view that they're stuck in. It's like I have seen people lighten up to a degree that that other people would say is not possible in a very short amount of time. So I wish I could give more like more like really practical like here's what you do to go in and change it, but it, it we need to be there for them in a way and then and then have whatever tools we have available to be able to get underneath it and give them a different choice. <clears throat> uh, I really like this and Dane, thank you so much for sharing it. I, I think um, if there's really something that's underlying there, it's not just getting the mind back into possibility, it's getting the body back into it as well. And it's like, yeah. you know, the body is the unconscious, right? 
So if we're, you know, we're not working with the, with both consciously choosing and unconsciously, our, our brain thinks, well, this is where I am. This is, I'm stuck. But if we're going, okay, let's look at possibility. And then also getting the body moving where the serotonin and the endorphins are going off and you're telling your body, I know you don't feel like this, but we're going anyway, right? You start to become a master of your mind once again and not a slave to this like stuck destiny. So I, I, I love that you broke this down and really gave us some ideas, some perspectives on how we can better support people in this space because you know, I know what it's like. I've had people around me that are, you know, have been depressed and same thing. I'm not, you know, a, a psychologist to any degree, a psychotherapist, any degree. Uh, and, and sometimes I even feel helpless myself. Like how can I support someone in this? So I just love that you've shared this and uh, I'm going to remember these, these points. And I'm sure at some point in my life, I'm going to come across it again. And anyone that's listening, you probably know someone right now and just really take this on, like go and rewind this, listen to it again, if you need to, just to hear the points and then, be there, support that person because we all have our moments where we feel like we're down in a hole and we need to do, you know, things to, to get out of it. One of the things I notice, Dane, you might, you might actually uh, notice this too, uh, is that what we do often is if we're not in responsibility enough in our life and we're just always in reward, uh, what happens is when, if you haven't been in the practice of being in responsibility, when, you know, the taxes come in, or bills are meant to be paid or you know something shows up in life where you haven't really equipped yourself for it it feels like it's a million times harder and it all comes crumbling down because you haven't practiced being in the responsibility of taking these things on and it just feels like you're coming under heavier and heavier boulders and i know that uh you've looked a lot into these uh celebrity uh you know suicide cases you know kate spade anthony bourdain and even uh, Chester from, you know, Lincoln Park. And a lot of these people that have experienced this and now they've gone uh, RIP. It, it seems to be this thing where they've had this, like they've known, they've been known for their success and everything else, but then life isn't like that anymore. It's like they're, they, they have this thing where they're like, they've got to keep up the image. And when it's not there, it comes crumbling down on them. What, what have you found in this space? Because I think this is something that people, a lot of people are scratching their head about. What have you noticed? Well, with that, I mean, if, if we look at the people that you mentioned, you know, and Robin Williams, another great example. It's like a lot of them, it, you know, exactly like you were saying, it's like they lived for what they could get from other people that showed them they had value. And at the same time, I think, they were so different than other people that they never felt like they fit in and they would never let anybody in because they didn't want anybody close enough to see how different and how weird they were. And so it's this place where they feel isolated and alone. And at the same time, they have what everybody says you're supposed to want in this reality, fame and money. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. I'm famous. I have money. Everybody's kissing my ass, but nobody seems to actually be asking me a question about me. Nobody seems to actually want to know what's true for me, but they want to kiss my ass and pretend so that somehow my star shine rubs off on them or something. You know, it's like, what, what, where, where am I in the equation of my life at this point? And I think, you know, once again, this, the thing that we spoke about if about if we, if we actually connect with the future that actually involves us and makes us lighter where we get this sense of, wow, this, 
this I would really like to have where, where it really is a sense of this would be just so friggin' cool. And it'd be so light. If we, if we did that, if we would just, if all of us would just for a moment, look at not the things that you want, you know, the house and the amount of money and the number of kids and the color of your girlfriend's hair and your husband's car, and you know, that shit. If we would actually get the sense of the energy of our life, like, okay, what I'd like is I'd like to have, I'd like to do something that's really fun for me. I'd like to be able to make um, what I'm making now, maybe going up to 10 times that, maybe a hundred times that. I'd like to be able to travel. I'd like to have really fun and cool people. I'd like to have people who actually get me. I'd like to have people, um, you know, and if you want a relationship, somebody who truly contributes to you and adores you the exact way you are and contribute something to the world that, that makes it a greater place all the time and that continuously changes so I'm not bored. So I said a lot of things there, right? But if we just got the sense of the way that would be energetically, not defining any piece of it as a where a particular kind of person or anything, and we got really present with that for a moment, and we were just like, okay, I'm asking for that. And you acknowledge to you, you acknowledge to the powers that be, whoever they are, consciousness, the universe, God, whatever it is for you, and you go, I'm asking for this. And I'm willing to be anything, I'm willing to do anything, I'm willing to change anything in order for this to show up. If we do that, and I know I ran people through that really quickly, but I did it on purpose because I didn't want anybody to think. Because when you start thinking, you're stinking, your mind is a dangerous thing, waste it. So if we do that for just a moment and get in touch with that energy in that space, what happens is our life starts to go in that direction. Now, my sense is what pretty much all of these people did was they had the idea, they had some ideas of what they were great at or capable of, and they sort of fell into doing this and doing this. And it then led them on this path that they may or may not have even wanted to go on. But once you're on that particular path, what else are you going to do? But part of the reason they could go on that path without actually heading toward something that was, had that lightness to it, or what's true for you, because what's true for you is always lighter, is because they never even probably had the chance to take a moment and go, wait a minute, how am I going to craft my future? What would I like? And I'll have that or better. That's fine. It doesn't have to be defined. And so there's this sense of, of them having these amazing capacities being so different, but their life having nothing to do with them. And if you don't have you, wherever you get to, if you don't have you, where are you? You know? Yes, 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 yes. I, I think that we live in a world too where, you know, we think just cause it's written down that that's what it is. And it's like, you've got to actually feel it on a cellular level, right? You need to feel yeah. like you're worthy of it as well. Like I, I feel as so many people's deserve level is so low. They don't believe that they truly deserve the things that they want. So they hold themselves back. Yeah. You know? But if you look at the people who truly create, they don't function from deserve. They yeah. function from, I'll have that, you know, <laughs> And some people do it from a really cool place. I'll have that and create more in the process for me and everybody else. Some people do it from, I'll have that by taking it from whoever I have to take it from. Regardless, you can look at one as good or bad, right or wrong, but they're both willing to have it in whatever way, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of us, you know, the seekers of the world, these horse people I was talking about before, a lot of us would like to have things, but we don't want to do it in a way that takes from other people. We don't want to judge other people. But the other thing is we're not, you know, we talk about not wanting to be judged, but in actuality, a lot of times we don't want to be greater than what other people think they can be. So other people don't judge themselves. You know, we won't be greater than our parents financially. A lot of people, they, we won't be greater than our brothers or sisters or 
you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, exes, all this sort of stuff, because we don't want them in judgment of themselves. And, and we need to realize that we may be the only source of inspiration in their life. You know, if like I grew up and half of my family was so friggin' poor and I mean, our toilet broke, it took two months to get a plumber. Okay. Cause we couldn't afford it. I'm talking poor living in trailer parks, you know, I'm talking poor and they were never willing to change their financial situation. And then I started changing mine because I was like, I'm not living this way anymore. And within about a year and a half, almost all of them started changing their financial situation. And I was wow. like, wow, wow. I didn't realize we could be that kind of inspiration for, for the people that we love and care about. I always thought it would be a bad thing. Like they'd feel bad. No, they were actually inspired. Wow. They, they, Thank you. Now I know it's possible. I was like, Oh my God, I wish I would have chosen this a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. The ultimate level of inspiration is to show others what's possible through your own actions. That's where it starts. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And I, and I love, you know, the fact that you're authentic to yourself too. It's like, this is what I value. This is where I would love to head. This is my mission, right? And, and people see that. It rubs off. It's that good energy, man. It's people see it and go, well, I, I want to be courageous enough to be authentic too. Uh, you wrote a book recently called Return of the Gentleman. Tell us a little bit about that because that's about how to authentically be a man. If we could drop in on that just before we wrap up this interview, I think it'd be really important. Yeah. For any of the, the men that are listening to this right now, or even the women too, that would love to understand it as well. So what would be your favorite one or two points in the book that you feel like if you could, someone was to pick up the book and just read one or two points there, what would they be that need to be heard? Well, first is that what we've been handed is sort of the stereotypes and the, the role models for being a man in the past don't really work anymore. The world has changed. We need to change with it. But that for me, a true gentleman is somebody who likes the man looking back at them in the mirror and somebody who truly has a sense of themselves. So they don't have to prove anything to anybody else. And they, and the interesting thing is when, when we show up that way, you know, what I call a gentleman, when we show up that way, it's highly seductive to everybody around us because there are so few people just being them and, and not making an apology for who they are that doesn't mean that if you screw up, you don't apologize. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you don't go around going, oh, I'm bad and wrong, so you should hate me and judge me. You know, you walk in, you're like, hi, here I am, warts and all. And there's this, there's this presence with that, that that truly creates, if you combine that with not being in judgment of other people and actually seeing the value of them, becomes one of the most seductive things in the world. And the reason that I bring this up is because a lot of people have been taught they need to try to pretend there's something they're not so they can get women to like them. A lot of guys have been taught they need to pretend to be something they're not so women will like them because they won't like them the way they are. And yet what I found is when a guy shows up as totally authentic, that is when he actually becomes truly attractive. Now, the same is true for women also. And this book is not, uh, is not, exclusive. It's not exclusively for men and it's not excluding women. It's actually a conversation that involves both genders. But what it's really about is, is not just the conversation about it, but here are, some, here are some tools and here are some things that you can change that will actually allow you to start liking the person looking back at you in the mirror and, and getting rid of some of the, the crap that we bought about our points of view about us as men. Because, you know, let's face it, we live in a world right now where that old philosophical question is around, which is, 
if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around, is the man still wrong? And in today's day and age, yes. You know, and we have, we have those, those, these amazing seekers in the world and these guys don't fit in any traditional box, but if they chose to actually embrace who they are and I'm, and the book is not about telling you who you are. It's about asking you a lot of questions so you can actually get to who you are because you're the only one who knows. But if these guys, and as these guys embrace who they are, they start to create a different possibility for, for every interaction, every relationship in their lives, which starts to branch out to everybody they know. They actually become this source of inspiration and possibility for people. So it's about engendering that, inviting that, but also giving a lot of tools and changing things while you read the book. Because it's one thing to have wonderful conversations, but if you don't change it in the moment, it just becomes another source of what you judge yourself for not being able to create or not being able to choose or change. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Dane. Thank you so much. I can't wait to read that book. It sounds like it, it also solidifies great principles too, to live by, right? To live by as a, as a, you know, a man. And I think that a lot of people nowadays have just kind of lost their way. They don't have anything that's, that's principle. Like it's just, I'll just do whatever's popular. We talked yeah. about politics. Politicians, exactly. well, politicians can't be trusted because they just say whatever they think is popular. They don't operate from principles. So, uh, no, I like this book. I can't, can't wait to, uh, to read it and go deep with it. Thank you so much for instilling in us your wisdom. Uh, there were so many amazing points in this interview that I know so many people are going to take great uh, you know, things from it and they're going to apply it to their life. I like that you had some actionable things there as well for them to do. So thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate it. Joel, I thank you so much. It is an honor and pleasure to be here. And thanks for what you're doing in the world. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, so, Dane, uh, where can we find you online? Everywhere. No. Um, <laughs> my, my website is drdanehere.com, which is D-R-D-A-I-N-H-E-E-R.com. Um, from there, there's all kinds of stuff that's on there that, that are sort of my not sort of there, my gift to people. Then I've also got something like 300 videos online on YouTube that are these little tools you can use five, six minute videos where there's a tool, I go into it and then I'm like, here, go use this. So, you know, if you want to check it out, if that, if that, once again, what's true for you makes you lighter. If it does, man, enjoy it, go for it. Yeah. I'm going to remember that for sure. There were so many quotables uh, in this interview, but that whole thing of what's true to you is lighter and what's, what's a lie is heavier. And, and, you know, I'm definitely going to start checking in on that more often. So thank you for, cool. for sharing that. So Dane, at the end of every interview, I ask this last question. And this question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? It's been an interesting ride and an interesting journey. And the one thing I would like everybody to know is if you never give up, you never give in, you never quit, not only is everything you desire possible, but it will be far greater than that if you are willing to choose it and know that you can have it. And even though I may be dead, I'm still going to be harassing you from the other side and bitch slapping you to help you make it happen. 